Hi, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here this morning. My name is Micah Riesenweber, and I'm one of the pastors at the Vine Church, and I'm honored to get to spend this time with you today. So for some time, we've been in a series here at the church in uh, the way of Jesus. We've been exploring what is the way of Jesus? What did he teach? How did he live and demonstrate the things that he taught? And uh, today, as we begin to conclude that that series, we're going to ask the question of, so who is this Jesus? We've learned a lot about what he taught and what he invites us into, but let's talk a little bit today about identity. And we're going to be running with this premise. This Jesus is our king. But there's a big question about how did he become king and do I even want a king? Let's be honest, conversations about kingship are a little bit uncomfortable in our culture. We are people uh, proud of our democracy and for good reason. And yet the kingdom of God operates in a different sort of way. Is Jesus our king? And what does it mean if he is that? So in just a moment, I want to get rolling with that. Um, but I was reflecting this week on the position that Israel finds themselves in as Jesus comes and reveals himself as their king, their Messiah, their savior, all language that's used to describe who Jesus was. Uh, Israel was in an incredibly tough position. I don't know if you guys like to do outdoor activity. I do. That's absolutely my thing. I'd like to be outdoors and doing something adventurous all the time if it were possible. And uh, we love to camp. And so we tent camp with our, our two girls. Uh, Sarah and I both love to camp. Um, and I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you wake up in the middle of the night and it's been raining. And if by chance your sleeping bag was kind of touching the edge of the tent, well, then the water has started to leak through that tent. And now you've got a wet sleeping bag. And I don't know, maybe it's two o'clock in the morning. It's pitch black outside. It's freezing cold. And now you're laying there damp in this tent. It's a miserable experience. And, and morning feels so far off. Will it ever come? And so you lay there in agony waiting. I was uh, talking with a friend who we like to camp with during the summer. They were on a trip that we weren't on with them, uh, I think, this last summer. At any rate, um, a wind came up so significant that their tent was starting to fold in on itself. It was one of these tents that, uh, in you know, is real easy to set up because it kind of all just pops out. Apparently, if the wind gets too bad, it starts to collapse. So he was standing there holding the walls of the tent out uh, in hopes that his family could continue to rest that night. Of course, no one did. And eventually, in the middle of the night, they get up and they start packing to leave. Now, Israel finds themselves in this really challenging position. Uh, they, they're desperate for a savior. They're desperate for Messiah. When will the dawn come? Because this is hard and it has been so long. And so today we're going to start in John chapter 12. And then we're going to have, have to back out of that for a moment and understand the context and the story that's playing out as this happens. We're going to explore Jesus as our king. And there's this beautiful story in John chapter 12, verse 12, and three of the four gospel accounts tell the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem, hailed as king. And in John's brief account, here's how he describes it. The next day, a great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. 
as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. At first, the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, to understand what's happening in this kind of strange moment in Jesus' ministry and time on earth, we have to zoom out. We have to back up and look at the continuing narrative that is the Bible. Uh, N.T. Wright is a modern-day theologian. He writes books such as How God Became King, and I'm going to be borrowing from some of his material throughout this message. It's a wonderful book, and if you'd like to go in more depth on these subjects, uh, I'd encourage you to explore some of his other videos or books on it. Um, but he his premise is that, um, that there's a serious problem at the heart of Christian faith, and particularly in Western Christian faith. It is that most of Western Christendom um, has simply forgotten what the four Gospels are all about. Quite often, we reduce the conversation of what God has done to my, my personal salvation, that I am saved and I have hope of heaven somewhere far off. But this is lacking in a number of ways. First of all, God's dream, God's, uh, God's plan and Jesus' prayer was, your kingdom come and will be done on earth. Not just waiting for something far off, but here and now can we know, experience, and live in your kingdom. But further, uh, the message that begin in the Old Testament of a God who creates and desires to walk with people plays out in a remarkable way as we start to go deeper than just waiting on a hope that is far off our salvation, but instead living into what God is doing here and now. Jesus is the culmination and continuation of this remarkable story that is being told in the Old Testament, comes to a climax in Jesus, and continues even to today. So let's back up and glance briefly at this story. Genesis 1-11 through 11 is this precursor. It tells a story of a God that lovingly created and desired to walk with humanity. And yet we read in those chapters of the way humanity rebelled against the plan that God had for them and things got really ugly in the world. And so in Genesis chapter 12, the story begins of God choosing a people, uh, the Israelite people, Abraham, the forefather of that nation, and saying, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to all the world. Through you, my blessing will flow into all of the world, is what God says to Abraham. And so the rest of the Old Testament story and into the beginning of the New Testament, Jesus' life and ministry, we're reading this story of God's plan to bring healing, reconciliation in this world. And uh, it's uh, it happens in remarkable ways. Abraham and his uh, few family members move over towards Canaan, this promised land. And eventually, uh, a few generations later, they find themselves in Egypt. In time, they're enslaved there in Egypt. And they become numerous, but they live in hard conditions. But God has not forgotten his people. And the story of Exodus is that of God coming and redeeming his people and reinstating covenant with them, taking them up out of Egypt. Egypt and to the promised land where eventually they take the land of Canaan. 
things are good for a while, but like throughout the biblical narrative, and if I'm honest, my life, probably all of our lives, uh, we lose sight of what God is doing and we pursue our own things. And that's what happens in the story of Israel. Eventually they look around at the nations and they say, hey, we want a king. Everyone else has a king. Why don't we have a king? And God says, this is not a good idea. I'm to be your king. And they say, hey, no. No, we're going to choose a king. And at first it goes okay, but it gets worse and worse. Eventually the kingdom of Israel is divided in time. Uh, it is conquered uh, and there's a season of exile where many from Israel are taken off to other nations and live as slaves there. Eventually they come back and they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They have at least this and they rebuild the temple. The prophets keep telling them that even though you're no longer a sovereign nation and though things are very hard, there is hope because there will be a Messiah. There will be a Savior. And there's a period of about 400 years in between the Old and the New Testament, or um, it's called the intertestamental period, where they don't hear anything. The prophets don't have anything new to say, and Israel is lost, and they're waiting. When will this Messiah come? What is next? Where is this hope, this redemption, this new opportunity? We need a king. And Jesus enters the stage. And yet, from the beginning of his life, it's a humble and very unique story, not the glamorous, not the story that, that Israel hoped for or dreamed of. He's born into a humble household. He's actually a refugee early in his life. His family has to move away because of a death, death threat. Uh, they've heard that a king has been born, and yet he's born in a manger in a very humble way and place. And he grows up, and at 30, begins his ministry. He teaches, and people begin to follow and they recognize this man is special. Now, some of those closest to him begin to recognize who he is. Maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe he is our Savior. And yet the higher-ups in Israel, the Pharisees, Sadducees, or the teachers of the law, they're in standing in stark opposition to Jesus, to the things that he teaches and the plans that he has. Des Israel desperately longs for a Messiah, but their understanding and interpretation of what that would look like, well, it's incredibly varied. It's hard to see Jesus in that role. And yet he takes these uh, messianic, these prophecies about the Messiah, and he explains them as himself. And though some believe, many do not. And so on this day, as we read a few minutes ago in John chapter 12, Jesus enters Jerusalem hailed as a king. Uh, people are cutting off palm branches and throwing them in the street, right? They're hailing him. Our king has finally re returned. Our Messiah has come back. And well, it's a beautiful scene in some respects, let's admit also it's a very, very odd one. Jesus is riding into town on a baby donkey. And there's some context for what's happening here. Uh, first of all, it's a fulfillment of prophecy. It did said, say, daughter of Zion, uh, you know, Israelite people, uh, don't be afraid because your king comes to you riding on a baby donkey. I'm not sure how much sense that makes unless we begin to contrast Jesus, his ministry, the way he operates, the kind of king that he'll be, contrast that with the nations of the world. 
particularly Rome and Caesar. And, and so when, when, when Rome or other kings would win a victory for their nation, they would return to the capital city with a huge parade of people and they'd be riding on a beautiful war stallion. And the, and the people would celebrate, our king has returned victorious. And Jesus, in a similar way, enters Jerusalem on a small, meager animal With very little fanfare behind him, our king has returned, but this doesn't look like the other kingdoms of the world. Now, I need to pause a moment as we identify where Israel is and what Jesus is doing in this moment. Uh, Years ago, I... um, I decided I wanted to start reading again. I hadn't been reading much in that season. And I mean, just reading for fun, just a novel, something um, to relax with. And I picked up a science fiction novel um, by Patrick uh, Rothfuss. Uh, The Name of the Wind was the first book in the series. And it was captivating. I really enjoyed this book. And so I read the second book. And after this cliffhanger sort of an ending I got confused because I couldn't figure out how to download that third book in the series to see either the conclusion or the continuation of the story and so I got on the forums and I started reading what's going on why can't I find this book and it's because 10 years after the second book had been written there was still no third book book and I was desperate and you read through all the chats and blogs and and uh, people are furious you know writing to Patrick saying why haven't you written the third book and in one of them I saw his response he said if you want something mediocre I can write that for you but I don't have the end of the story at this point I'm still working that out. And I think it's an interesting parallel to where Israel finds himself in this moment. There's all sorts of people making claims of how the Messiah would come and when the Messiah would come and what it would look like, but the story was not complete. And as Jesus arrives, there's some confusion. Could this actually be it? It looks so different than what we had expected. Now, while many hoped that Jesus would come and conquer through military means, uh, that was not the battle that Jesus came to fight. In fact, he came to fight a battle against a much more sinister and universal enemy. That is death. Ultimately, Jesus' battle was not against Rome or Caesar or anything of that sort, but instead against death. And Jesus was a very different sort of a king. He comes in in a very unique way, but people are beginning to notice and they're celebrating as he enters Jerusalem. You know, in that text, John chapter 12, it also identified um, the way the disciples didn't understand what was happening in that moment. It was cool. People were saying he's a Messiah and they'd been following him for three years now. And many of them had made that same proclamation, come to that same conclusion. He is our savior. There's many people in the crowd there in different places in their faith journey, just like as we have this conversation online or as we gather at church on Sunday, many of us are in very different places in our faith journey, asking, is this him? It doesn't look exactly like I expected it to. And it it only got harder from there uh, for his followers. Within days, Jesus would be arrested and put on trial. 
He was arrested by Jewish people, a mob of people, rallied by the Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law. And then he was handed over to Pilate, a representative of Caesar and the authority of Rome, because the Jews weren't able to execute him as they wanted to. And so Rome steps in and Jesus has this fascinating conversation with Pilate. As I kind of jockey back and forth about what a kingdom is, what it's to look like, where is power and authority derived from? Remember, Jesus has a very different worldview than the kingdoms of this world. And in time, Jesus is crucified. He's hung on a cross and in a mocking statement, they hang above his head. This is the king of the Jews. And he hung on that cross and he died. The king of not just the Jews, but the king of all humanity died on a cross. It appeared in that moment as though death had won. And yet by means of a death on a cross and then resurrection a few days later, Jesus, in fact, was victorious even over death bringing salvation and new hope, not just to Israel, but to everyone afflicted by death. There is hope of resurrection in Jesus Christ. He, the first to raise from the dead, begin a new era in this world. In becoming king, Jesus then inaugurated this kingdom of God. In becoming king, as he uh, claimed himself to be the son of God, as he lived and he taught, as he stepped into this role in this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and people hailed him as their king as he hung on a cross with a sign over his head, the king of the Jews, and ultimately as he died, but then rose again, Jesus became king in a new kingdom had been ushered into this world. A kingdom that operates and looks very different than the kingdoms of this world. This is the kingdom of God. So while sometimes we reduce the story of Jesus and his resurrection, the biblical narrative is often reduced down to my personal salvation and hope far off. Please understand this narrative invites us to know something far richer than that. A kingdom that has been ushered into this world that we are invited to be citizens of. So for the, for the past seven or eight weeks, we've been exploring um, what is the way of Jesus? Like, how did he live? What did he teach? And what is he inviting us to? You see, this kingdom operates very differently. And so we have been talking about these sorts of things. The kingdom of God is marked by humility, by gentleness, for caring for the needs of others over our own needs. The kingdom of God revolves around compassion, both God's compassion and ours for each other and for other people in this world. The kingdom of God operates on forgiveness. There is power in prayer. We are invited to live lives of love, not just love for the people that are easy to love, but love even for our enemies. It's a kingdom of faith and of trust. 
Jesus' way is the way of joy, and we are invited to live joyfully into this kingdom of God that has come, that is here, that is now, and that is being ushered more fully into this world day by day as we participate in it. So this is the way of Jesus, and we are invited to be citizens of his kingdom. Again, each of us comes at a different place in our faith journey. I can speak for myself in saying that having explored many world religions and many different viewpoints or political postures or whatever you might choose to guide your life with, I think the way of Jesus is richer and more beautiful than anything else I have seen in this world. And 2,000 years ago, people witnessed him crucified, killed on a cross, and then raised from the dead invited them to share the good news that he has conquered death. And we are invited not just to a hope far off, though we are invited to that, but here and now to live as citizens of his kingdom. So just as Jesus' kingship was counterintuitive and countercultural, we too are invited to live as citizens in his kingdom, in countercultural counterintuitive ways, demonstrating love and humility and compassion and being participants in bringing healing and hope in this world. Jesus, he is a king. He is alive. And we are invited to live in his kingdom. Let's pray about that. God, thank you for this day and the opportunity that we have to explore your word, this biblical narrative, God, it is hard at times to call anyone, even you, king of our lives, to place ourselves in a position where we would look up to and listen to your plans, your intent for our lives, and to follow in the way that we should. So give us courage and strength. God, open our eyes to the beauty of your way, to the beauty of your healing, reconciliation, and hope in this world. And in seeing that, God, give us courage to lean in, to trust in the things you invite us to, the way of Jesus, the ways, the things that he taught and the ways that he lived. God, may we learn from him and may we live like him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for joining me this morning. I hope you found encouragement and we'll be praying that you have a blessed week. See you soon. Bye.